because media hasn't been covering it, or in fact, it's been incorrectly covering it or siding with neutrality, which is in essence siding with the oppressor, not been doing anything we can to just get a word in because more than half of it is like an information war. Welcome to your Such a Catch. I want to paint a little picture for you today. So if you have the ability to do so, you know, maybe close your eyes for a second. If you're driving, don't do it. <laughs> but imagine yourself moving over 7,000 miles away from the place you were born, the place that you called home. Your parents want to give you and your brother a better life, and they win the lottery of a green card to bring you to the United States of America. You may be physically leaving your people and your culture and what you consider your roots behind, but they're a part of you. They will always be in your heart. Now, fast forward to 2020. We're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. There's other jaw-dropping events happening all around us. And just when we thought 2020 couldn't get any worse, on September 27th, Azerbaijan declares war on your home country, Armenia. You're still over 7,000 miles away from the ones you love. The media isn't covering what's going on. In fact, Azerbaijan won't let journalists in to report, and they've banned every social media outlet aside of Twitter. You feel helpless. You fear history is going to repeat itself. You feel helpless. This is Ani's story. I really thought it would be a good opportunity to not only like share about what's going on, but like share about your personal story. So I wasn't sure, were you born over here? Were you born over there? So I was born in Yerevan, Armenia, which is the capital of Armenia. It's a very small country. You really have to just kind of zoom in and when you're looking at the map, as you mentioned, because you're like, I was looking at the map and I wasn't sure. And that's totally fine because you literally have to zoom in to find the country. So it's bordering Azerbaijan and it's bordering Turkey. And Mm -hmm. so that's it's kind of like it's so... It's Middle Easter. It's Middle East, you can say. So, yeah, it's a very small country. And so I was eight when we came here. I came with my family. We were lucky to win a green card to come here and we settled in Glendale. Uh, Glendale has a huge Armenian American population. So that's kind of where I, I found myself. And I've always been connected to my Armenian roots. I try to speak Armenian as much as possible. So yeah, that's I've, I've I've lived in an Armenian community, so it's been a lot easier to just kind Address. of yeah keep just my traditions and my culture alive in a sense. So yeah, what's happening now with it's in actually Artsakh. It's a small. It's a independent state. It's internationally recognized. It's called Nagorno Karabakh, which it's internationally considered under Azerbaijan. However, it has its own republic. It's a very, yeah, and I can get into it as we get into the conversation, but it's, it's, the conflict is over what they say a disputed territory. Yeah. So 
let me just actually get into that so that like I can yeah. get a sense and of I would the... love to know too like you're growing up over there you have siblings I do I have a younger brother who's 27 yeah so and currently in that area Artsakh we actually do have loved ones that are there now they're still there. yeah okay. and they're actually just under shelter like there's bombs every 30 minutes. So it's very oh real gosh, for wow. me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's like day and night for the past, I want to say 20, 21 days. I've just mm-hmm. been following up, trying to understand what's happening there. And I mean, the history, it's its very, I don't know if the right word is interesting, but it's definitely a very complex history in, in mm-hmm. the sense on an because if somebody doesn't know the implications, the historical implications, it's very hard to understand. I have friends that are not Armenian and they're like, I don't know what's happening. Can you kind of break it down? And that's totally, I, I totally understand, especially with like what the media has been not covering it. And mm-hmm. that's what's been the hardest pill to swallow, I guess. Mm-hmm. So how do you get your information? Are you getting it from word of mouth, like from your loved ones over there? Or what's your primary news source? Honestly, in the beginning, when like, let's say the local news stations weren't covering it, it was social media. It was us. It was literally Uh us, like trying to inform people, creating infographics, sharing the map, sharing screenshots of like history clippets, things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the first I want to say, so the, the fighting broke out September 27th of this year. And there's been ongoing clashes, but nothing as serious as this. And so we were just kind of sharing as much news as possible on social media. And then we were also protesting at the Azerbaijani consulate and the Turkish consulate. And to understand the conflict is that Azerbaijan is saying basically that disputed area, quote by quote, is theirs. Meanwhile, it's actually historically and ancestrally Armenian land, as Mm -hmm. census has proven, as the fact that there's monasteries there that range from like before Christ to like 10th, 12th, 14th century monasteries that I've personally visited, I personally prayed at. And now it's bombed. It's, it's in shatters. Wow. So it's, it's just very, it's mind boggling. And so the whole conflict, I guess, came about is that during the USSR, that area, Stalin had like annexed it to Azerbaijan. However, there were no, it was like a big umbrella of USSR. There were 15, approximately 15 mini republics, Armenia mm-hmm. being one, Azerbaijan being one. And so it was kind of like, not given to them, but just kind of like, it was like a hush kind of statement. Like, I don't want, Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of political things that I guess shouldn't have been done by a third party, the Russian like Bolshevik party. So anyway, that, but I mean, it was always during the U.S. It was under the rule of the USSR. So it was kind of quiet for some time. And then USSR collapsed in the late 80s, early 90s. And so people there, predominantly were Armenian, of ethnic mm-hmm. Armenians. This is like our ancestral land. And as the census has even shown, it's progressively been Armenian. So then when the Armenians of that like area, okay, Artsakh, said that, look, 
Like, there's no more USSR. We want to be an independent state. We want to be the Republic of Artsakh. If we're not joining the Republic of Armenia proper, we want to be an independent state. In fact, there was actually a huge voting decision during the mm-hmm. Arabakh movement, and that's what that's called. And people actually voted, and their votes were unanimous. But because of Azerbaijani, I want to say, like, imperialistic dreams, Turkish, Azerbaijani imperialistic dreams, they were not okay with that. So a lot of clashes happened. A lot of Mm -hmm. ethnic cleansing happened. That's where kind of war broke out in the early 90s. And Armenia was, Armenians and Armenia was able to kind of get those lands and secure those lands. There was a ceasefire agreement signed in 1994. But since then, I mean, ceasefire has been just broken time and time again by the Azerbaijani government. And this one has been the the most, I guess, largest, the most destructive. And yeah, so it's just kind of there, like... Is there any relevance with the timing, like why it happened on September 27th? Actually, you ask a really good question. It's not necessarily the timing, but the fact that Azerbaijan took advantage of like a, in a global pandemic in a struggling economy to really bring about this issue again, to initiate it, target. Because this is beyond just like fighting on the front lines. They're targeting civilians. They're targeting churches. So that's why, and it's it's a very sensitive topic in the sense because it's supported by Turkey. And Turkey, if you if Turkey committed the Armenian genocide in 1915, so to put it into context, it's like saying in today's day in 2020, Germany persecutes Jews, and the mm-hmm. world is silent. Yeah, yeah. like I, I want to. Yeah, I wish I was exaggerating, but it's mm-hmm. literally not even an exaggeration because Germany, like to this day, like if you say the Holocaust doesn't didn't happen, you obviously. You can't do that. Like you just, you can't do that. So it's basically uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan are really good allies. Turkey's trying to just fulfill its pan-Turkish uh, agenda. And mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned in the beginning is if you look at the map, um, Armenia's actually the first nation to adopt Christianity as, as its nation like religion. And it's, mm-hmm the main and like only Christian nation like in that area, technically. So yeah, there's lots of components to this conflict. As as I mentioned, there's like the religious component, the imperialistic like claims, the ethnic cleansing, like there's so much to it. And it's just unfortunate because these people, Armenians predominantly in that region, they exercise their right to self-determination and Mm self-identification as indigenous to the land in 1994. And it was, it was, correct with all the international laws, with all the referendums, like everything was done lawfully, peacefully, and yet it came back, like it backlashed on them. And that's where like the ethnic cleansing massacres happened also. So yeah, I mean, Armenians have been persecuted in history a lot with different, um, in different eras. Mm -hmm. And I think, just goes back to like, you know, re- history repeats itself. If the persecutor, right. if the oppressor is not kind of held accountable for what they've done, 
then these things can happen again. Just like mm-hmm. the Armenian genocide of 1915, Hitler used that and said, there's a quote and people can Google it. Like he said, who today remembers the Armenians before he committed the Holocaust? Wow. Which was in World War II. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So do you think, I mean, obviously your parents had a motivation in bringing your family over here. Mm-hmm. Can you go back and explain that process a little bit? Like you said, your family like won the green card out of a lottery. Mm-hmm. And so their main motivation was it to kind of escape this reality that you were having to deal with? So personally, in my case, we weren't refugees. We simply just wanted, my parents wanted a better, better opportunities for their children. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we weren't refugees. At the time in 1998, Republic of Armenia, there was just more of a political civil situation in terms of like where the economy was going because the USSR kind of uh, collapsed in the early 90s. So these republics were finally just coming to terms with themselves, being independent. So I, as you can imagine, if any republic, like there's the socioeconomic issues, just the economic, financial issues, what's happening. And a lot of the republics suffered when USSR collapsed. They, It's literally like starting from zero. Like, hey, mm-hmm. how do we do this on our own? So that was kind of the motive in terms of us leaving or us coming to this country. But I personally know people who were refugees in, from that like area, Artsakh, where in the early 90s, they literally were like coming to, the, um, you know, just persecuting Armenians, like killing people in daylight going after them having a Mm -hmm. list of like where the armenians lived in that area it's like i know like it's just so scary it's just the thought of it i'm just like jesus christ right so so were you living in a lot of fear and stuff and like like describe to me like what that's like in your day-to-day. And also I'd like to know as you're preparing, I mean, I know you were only eight at the time, but as you're preparing and your parents are kind of like letting you know, you know, okay, we're going to be moving to the United States. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that feel like as a child? And did you know English at that point or were you learning and trying to self-teach? Yeah. So Um, Thankfully, my mom was an English teacher, so I had Ah, a little bit of knowledge of English. I, um, you know, I had I knew a few words here and there and I couldn't just kind of carry a conversation. But honestly, it was just kind of the move was semi surprise for me. It was in the beginning, it was definitely hard to just to get used to a new life, not being with your friends, being in a new place, so much culture shock. I remember like, I know this might sound silly, but like eating cereal, like that wasn't my breakfast. Like my breakfast <laughs> was like, like vegetables and like oh, interesting. Uh, dairy. Yeah. Like we're very like, we're heavy on dairy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so a lot of yogurt and cheese and just sliced meat, you know, um, deli stuff. Like that's my, cause I also lived in Russia too. So okay, it's, it's like a combination of culture. So I think that was the thing. And also bacon. I was like, oh my God, bacon? Like, what is that? Like, <laughs> like I would, you would eat obviously barbecue, but like not yeah. bacon with eggs uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah. And like learning how to say, I want sunny side up. Cause that was how oh. I liked my eggs. 
it's just like cute things and stuff now that I look back I'm like oh my god like just simple things yeah and like also it's funny but when you come from a post-soviet country and I've talked to people that uh, lived in like other countries post-soviet uh-huh. countries not Armenia just the fact that people the etiquette here and the friendliness like people that don't know you might smile at you like that's weird oh. everywhere else oh it's yeah. weird yeah. Oh. Wow. it's actually I will like say... it's strange <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah like I will say so- when I've traveled, um, you know, I'm very smiley and very toothy with my mm-hmm. smile. And I could tell when I was in Montreal, they were not about the teethy grins. I was like, exactly. oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah. did you think coming here that people were very welcoming and, and accommodating? Yeah, I, I didn't have like, I had like a positive outlook. I was like a very happy child in general. I, I loved Michael Jackson. Like during that time in Armenia, oh my God, Michael Jackson was king. Okay. Oh, it was really? just and like Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. Yeah. What, who else? Like the Jacksons, just in general. The Beatles, my parents grew up listening to the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. So these musicians and like um, that that sense of American culture, like I was excited about it. It was never, (laughs) it's just the reality of getting used to not being with your friends. And then the language, I remember being in classroom and trying to explain to the teacher, like, Hey, I need to go to the restroom, but I'm like, how do I tell her? (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. And it's like, there was like this, like, kind of interpreter there and I don't think she was getting me I was like listen I need to go to the restroom (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that's so funny I can't I mean I can't even imagine what that would be like just you're just learning everything over from from scratch basically yeah yeah yeah. and as is like you're a kid let alone like you know as is you're a kid and you're trying to understand all these things of what it means to grow up and sure and fit in in. yeah and fit in absolutely so that's why it was like it was very interesting now that I remember and just kind of look back and when you came over there wasn't like the social media presence that there is today and the technology probably wasn't really there so when you were communicating in your initial stages of being in the United States like what did that look like what were you actually handwriting letters actually I was that's funny you say that I remember having just like classmates and stuff the first year or two I was like in the third fourth grade we would write letters to each other it was the sweetest thing and then obviously years later when social media came about we found each other on Facebook in fact because I visit Armenia often I have I do keep you know connections still with my friends there from first grade or if I have I do still have family there so I do keep in touch with them but definitely it was like a complete just different outlook on things well for sure I remember studying abroad and we used to have to get calling cards like yeah yeah people know what a calling card is we we had a calling card and then if you you know maxed out your time your call just got disconnected and you had to like go and add like another twenty dollars or whatever it was you know onto your Mm -hmm, card to -hmm. to even dial back but now we have like whatsapp and all these different things yeah yeah, Yeah. yeah where you can communicate with people all over the world which is great so at a certain point in time did you um, start pursuing like your United States citizenship? 
Yeah, definitely. So it was because we weren't refugees. We had won a green card. So it was a different story. It was relatively obviously easier, the process, the paperwork. So I think like within, I don't know, it was like five years or something of that sort, you're already given your full citizenship. So that was perfect. I mean, I was like, what, 14 or 13, 14 that I became a U.S. citizen. And yeah, so that was like super easy to do. But yeah, I mean, it was something that with time, I mean, you just, you became a U.S. citizen. and mm-hmm. so, so what do you okay. think about, you know, now, I mean, you're dealing with all this stuff that's happening in Armenia and, you know, where you're from. And then you've also got like this whole craziness happening in the United States, right? With the election right around the corner and stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you get very involved in like the United States politics and now that this is your home and and kind of mm-hmm. like, how do you balance? Because I feel like with this world happening, it's enough in the United mm-hmm. States and the turmoil and the tension and the anxiety. And then you have this whole other thing happening back at your home country where y- you probably feel a little bit helpless in a sense, right? Definitely, Erin. I feel like you took the words out of my mouth. You just read my mind. So just to like kind of say that, like personally, I'm not really political. Like I can just put it out there. Like that's not my jam. I'm definitely, and that's why what's happening right now in my country, like when I want to explain it to people, I want to help them understand that this is not about politics. This is not like, it's not like there's a civil war happening in my country. And I'm trying to like be like, guys, can you help us out? Not at all. Like, that's not even the case. This is like solely a humanitarian crisis. And not only is it a humanitarian crisis, because it has embedded history in there, like very Mm -hmm. traumatic transgenerational history, it's even worse. And to kind of like top it all off is that because media hasn't been covering it, or in fact, it's been incorrectly covering it or siding with neutrality, which is in essence siding with the oppressor. That's where I guess my political side per se has been, has come about and I've been protesting. I've been writing to news stations. I've been, I don't know, just constantly on social media outlets trying to fight these Azeri bonds, literally. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Like there was like a huge thing about how Facebook actually had to get rid of all these fake profiles, just spewing propaganda, false information. It's crazy. No way. So who, who was heading up that? Yeah. So Azerbaijan's government actually pays huge money, and this is like with research we've discovered, I guess, to lobby firms or like PR firms. So for example, the latest even LA Times article was written by the Azerbaijan's Consulate General of LA. Crazy. Like, how do you write, how do you allow, that's like saying might as well have the president of Azerbaijan write the article for you. Right. Like, what? I thought your news, like just, and so things like that, huge PR firms, actually one of the best in the United States, Turkey and Azerbaijan have teamed up to take care of not only the actual physical like war to get that land, but also the information war. And that's the the whole thing about me feeling, you know, like I'm in the diaspora and like every day for the past three weeks, I've been waking up like obviously very emotional, crying. And I'm like, I feel helpless. Like I'm like, 
what can I do? And I've been trying to use social media as much as possible to, to not allow this disinformation to just like spread like wildfire. Because I mean, you read the news and they're like, oh, war erupted. And when you say something erupted, that doesn't put like an actual blame on like the the party that's at fault. It's just kind of saying, yeah, like, like volcanoes erupt, (laughs) not wars. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how do you say that? Somebody made a move. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or like, Mm -hmm. just like generic terms, like disputed territory, disputed conflict. Well, excuse me. Like there's history behind it. There's the, in war, there's always the oppressor and the oppressed. And Armenia and Artsakh, in fact, all together stand at maybe like 3 million people all together with a GDP of less than 12 billion. That's absolutely Mm. nothing for a country. Meanwhile, you have Turkey's GDP that's like 800 billion, who's aiding Azerbaijan, whose GDP is like, I don't know, 40 billion or something of that sort. So it's just let like I think that's the most frustrating thing about like going back to your question about like how do I feel about what's happening and just like everything is that all this misinformation, all these facts, these numbers that don't lie, like just mm-hmm. using using logic, you're like, why would Armenia in a global pandemic initiate anything, let alone it? Right. Well, I think you have a really good point there because I think that you said using your mind and using logic, but I think as a people, like wherever you're from, like wherever you reside, we have been succumbed to letting people do our thinking for us. And we are so easily manipulated and we see a piece of news or a piece of propaganda and we have to believe it's true because whatever source produced it. So it must be facts. And I think that's something that I was just having a conversation the other day about where our information comes from, who's vetting our information. And really in, in the society, the way we receive and, and take in this information, is anybody taking the time to kind of validate it? Or are we just going, oh, that's a trustworthy source or that type Absolutely. of thing? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, like there's no auditing of news whatsoever. It's just like, okay, whoever wants it just writes it. And I see the democratic freedom of speech component of that. But also it just feels like news is bought off. And this is just one of the many examples. Luckily, Mm -hmm. I know the conflict. I know the historical implications. I've been to those places. So I can easily verify and say, yeah, this is true or this is false and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I guess ignorance is bliss in the sense that because I'm not ignorant about this topic, it's just like, it's just my heart is just like being ripped up to pieces because it's like my people are dying. And on top of that, there's so much manipulation by the Azeri propaganda and just their dictatorship, like just totally censored media. Like they're not allowing international journalists except Turkish journalists to enter their country to do the news. Meanwhile, Armenia is like welcoming all types everybody like here come see for yourself what it is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then like just just heinous war crimes like just you know um there's no sense of like human laws or like human rights even in the context of war because ultimately there's still a fine line like so there's just so much crap happening that it's like just dissecting it is just 
I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm just so tired. Oh my gosh. Well, I bet you are. I bet. I mean, that's, I I can't even fathom and just being so far away from these people that you love and that you care about. And then also, you know, I mean, you're doing as much as you can at the grassroots level, but is your message being heard? And is it in front of the right people? And, you know, what will really what will it take to really stop this? So mm-hmm. I, I did see, I mean, obviously I saw there's some, um, you know, celebrities that are making donations and are kind of speaking out on the cause. I saw Kim, you know, Kardashian West gave a million dollars. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is your thoughts on the efforts that are being made from that kind of level? That's also a really good question, Erin, because again, to gauge the information war that also relates to that. So Kim and like the Kardashian family, I know that each of the sisters kind of donated a million dollars to the Armenia Fund, which is which helps with humanitarian aid. And I mean, Kim has been relatively vocal about like just in general, the Armenian cause. And recently she kind of just started like, hey guys, like this is what's happening. I need you guys to not be indifferent and not be selective humanitarians. Like I just, it's a very interesting concept, like selective solidarity, selective humanitarian. And in addition to other stars and just like pages on Instagram that have had a huge following, I've noticed myself and I can name them Elvis. I'm sorry, not Elvis, Elton John. I was like, whoa, is it Elvis? (laughs) And you made an Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Yeah. So Elton John, not Elvis. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Elton John and then like uh, Cardi B. So she posted, all right. So, so she posted in solidarity with Armenians. Like, I want this war to be done with. I want this conflict to be ended. And then because of what I was saying in terms of all these Azeri-like bots, like robots and actually humans they just bombarded her with comments like craziness craziness nothing i've ever seen before so because of just like i don't know fear of i don't know not being liked not selling she took it off same with elton john and i was interesting and Elton John and the actually the uh, world star, there's a page that has like 26 million and they just kind of, uh, you know, report, I guess, current news. I don't know. I'm not really familiar with the page, but from a sense of it, I mean, they have a huge following. They also did that. And I was just wondering and I was like, what is happening? Why are all these people posting and then taking it down, posting and then taking it down? Like, this mm-hmm. is crazy. So it turns out a lot of these robots or people, whatever, they actually go on these like company pages, for example, for Kim's, her KKW, and this is actually smart. They go to KKW.com and they give bad reviews. So they know Mm -hmm. that their biggest, it's profit. So if these people Mm -hmm. don't get profit, they won't be speaking out about it. So it's literally hush money vibes. Like it is hmm Interesting. Yeah. It's just mind-boggling to me. And that's kind of why, again, going back to the fact that why we've been, like, unfortunately, closing freeways for the sake of, like, a se- segment on the news, you know? Like, or, I don't know, closing highways or just protesting or just doing anything we can 
to just get a word in because yeah mm-hmm. like I said it's it's literally half the battle like it's half of it is more than half of it is like an information war Wow. Well, I think what caught my attention is I met you as a makeup artist. And so I was used to seeing like your your feed and seeing pictures of these beautiful highlights and all this different, you know, essentially looking at your work, your portfolio. And then one day I'm like, oh, interesting. You know, we've had a total shift here. But I started to follow and I thought, how cool that you made this pivot because it's so important to you to share this information and whether it impacts your business or not, like, you know, you have your skill set. People know you have your skill set, but now you're using your platform to spread this information and to spread something that you care about that's near and dear to your heart. And I don't know that either of us really know what it's going to take to stop it. But what you're doing, I mean, the efforts that you're making on the daily basis have to be doing something. Thank you so much, Erin. I mean, just it means the world when you say that to me. And you're right. It's just like it just got to a point where it's like, First and foremost, I'm human. And my heart just aches for when I see things like that. And going back to the beginning where I said, this is not about politics, guys. Like people are clo- like turning their back because they don't want to be involved in politics. And I just want to make them understand that this is not about politics. I don't like politics. I would not be protesting and speaking out so much if it was just about politics about like oh am I supposed to wear a mask or not like I would not (laughs) protest about that (laughs) like honestly and and that's the thing it's like it's an existential crisis for Armenians Mm. it's not even about like do I have the right to vote it's Mm -hmm. literally about can I live like can Mm. I live peacefully in my ancestral land will you let me be? And that's why I've like, I've remembered, not that I remembered, but I just like kind of used that platform, my, even my makeup page to just educate people as much as possible. Cause I know this year, it just, for me, it was a very eye opening year. And I'm sure for everybody, whether it was for good reasons or bad reasons, it was eye opening. And I think for me, I just kind of realized like when things slowed down, I was like, okay, like, I'm not a robot. Like I'm human first and foremost. Let me understand who I am again, you know, what I like to do and what type of life I want to lead, what type of mm-hmm. message I want to, you know, put out there. And this kind of just happened unfortunately and I ha- I had always been in touch with my Armenian roots, but like this just like hit so hard and I was like I can't not talk about it. Even if mm-hmm. I lose, I know some people have muted my post. I'm sure some people stop following me, but like that's irrelevant to me because like mm-hmm. I said, first and foremost, I'm human. Second, I'm a business, I'm an artist and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that's to be expected. People make their decisions based on whatever motivates them. But I think the people that you are reaching is what's important. And I think even sharing with my listeners today, a lot of people might see what's going on in the news or they might see an Apple news article show up in their feed or something, but they don't understand. And I was kind of, you know, telling you even like, I see the news and I read some of the articles and I don't fully, you know, grasp it. But I did read this analogy that you had on your page, and I don't know if you could summarize it, but there's an analogy that was used using New York. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I actually, yeah, I have it. You're, you're totally right. I have it on my Instagram. 
thought that was an easy way to kind of like sum it up in terms that made sense, you know, <laughs> at Absolutely. least for me. So I can just kind of talk about it and say, so the analogy is like, it starts off by saying, why is the UK invading the US? The United Kingdom successfully invaded the U.S. to revive the Commonwealth and decided to give New York State as a gift to Canada in order to weaken the U.S. Canada wants to de-Americanize New Yorkers, and so English schools get banned, the English language gets banned, the American culture gets forbidden, every American is now forced to speak French and learn about Canadian history. Decades pass, and New Yorkers don't forget their roots despite the ethnic cleansing at play. They were the majority of the population on their territory with minority of Francophones. And one day, the UK changes its constitution. This new constitution allows the people of a state to vote on their governments. So, of course, New Yorkers call for a vote to get reunited with the U.S., the UK and Canada don't appreciate this defiance, and so the Canadian courts and the UK Supreme Court deny the legitimacy of the vote and change the Constitution again. As a vengeance, Canadians kick out Americans. Americans, in return, kick out Canadians out, and a war continues to rage in North America ever since, while the US, a UK sells arms to both sides. Sounds too insane to you? In this story, the UK is Russia, Canada is Azerbaijan, the US is Armenia, and New York is Nagorno-Karabakh or Artsakh. Mm -hmm. And this ridiculous storyline is exactly what went down in the caucus. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, but when you put it in those terms, it's like, okay, you know, I, I know the moving pieces and I know how they fit together and I know how crazy that would be and that we would never allow that to happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, like and, yeah. and if it was, then the people would come together like you're trying to do now and evoke for it to stop and, and also to protect its, its people. Absolutely. This is not even about, and that's the thing, it's that Armenians are just like it's like a cry for help like hey guys like it's not even about disputed territory anymore because they're also well not only are they bombing churches in the disputed territory and civilian areas schools just houses where people live they're also they had drones that were seen and in like armenia proper so this is about like an attempt at like getting rid of like Armenians like unfortunately to mention that but that's that's what's happening because this is not about only physical land this is like eradication of a culture of a group and again mm -hmm. why we are so bothered by it because we've been through it 100 yeah. years ago by the mm -hmm. same people who are funding this what's happening now and the fact that those same people Turkey has not admitted to it despite the numerous historical evidence, third-party evidence, because admitting to it would mean that they would have to give back lands. They would have to yeah. give back power and control. So that's why it's just the, like, it's just so mind-boggling that news can cover, like, the fly on Mike Pence's head, <laughs> but there's yeah. a whole, <laughs> like, that's what I, like, I understand, like, Armenia is not in, in the U.S. I get it. Like, there's so much happening in the world. I get it. Like, you can't keep up with everything. But, like, 
at the brink of genocide. Like this is not just, it's not like the economy is doing bad in Armenia or there's a civil war and we're just like, hey guys, pay attention to us. It's literally like, yo, like this has happened before. You've been silent, US. Please, we need you to, we need you to do something. It, it can't. You're a symbol of hope. Like people come to your country for that. Yeah. Like it's just I love that you say that too, because I think sometimes as Americans, we can forget like where we live and the freedom that we have, you know, and, and we can really get caught up in some of the minutiae. So for you to say that, that the United States is a land of hope <laughs> it is a great reminder. And, and it is a huge blessing that we are here and we have these freedoms and we can exercise them. So Ani, if somebody wants to help you, if somebody wants to follow along in your journey and to learn more, how do they find you? And, and what do you suggest that they do? What, what can we do at the grassroots level to kind of help? Absolutely. First thing first, I would say, please spread awareness. If you see Armenian infographics, I can mention my Instagram, my uh, tag or my handle. I have a lot of infographics. There are a lot of good information that you can share on your feed. You can share on your story. The more people know, a lot better. Because at this point, we're literally the ones doing the news work. Since major, you know, um, major news outlets aren't really following through with it. Secondly, inform your congressmen, congresswomen, have them sanction Turkey. Turkey is the one truly funding what's happening. Azerbaijan is at fault, obviously. U.S. tax dollars are going to uh, war crimes that are perpetrate, perpetrated by Azerbaijan. So this is happening. We are... Because people ask me, like, what does this have to do with me? I'm like, yo, like your tax money goes to this. This is not something that has nothing to do with you. And thirdly, if you have that, you know, extra five, ten dollars for your coffee, your daily cup of coffee, please donate. The website is I can indicate it. It's on my Instagram. It's the Armenia Fund website. The actual one is teamnadram.org. It's on my Instagram. You can it goes to humanitarian aid. It goes to all these families that have been displaced, that have literally left everything and just like ran out. So it will mean the world to me. And I can guarantee you it will mean more like just everything to every Armenian on the planet. Oh, we were so sweet. And I mean, I am so glad I got to meet you. And I am so glad that we could have this conversation and that I could learn and my listeners could learn from you. I think what you're doing is just brilliant. I mean, you have this passion and this drive for your people. And I have a lot of respect for you. And I really, really hope that this gets sorted out. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank oh, you for I'm having me. I'm all emotional. Like, I'm oh. all teared up <laughs> for you. I know. I mean, I just, my heart just, you know, breaks for you because I just see you, you know, spinning your wheels and it, and it's really difficult. So anything I can do to help, I'm here for you. And I'm sure my listeners will back me in that. So much love to you. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Thanks for tuning in to your Such a Catch. I wanted to share Ani's story because she's an example of a YSC girl. She's strong. She's intelligent. She's well-spoken. She's someone who's trying to make a difference and raise awareness for something she's passionate about, humanity. 
Her story is a solid reminder that there's a whole world going on around us. It's greater than the five mile radius we set on our dating apps. It's greater than the likes we receive on TikTok. And it's far beyond the amount of followers we have on Instagram. There are people who need our help in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and over 7,000 miles away in Armenia. To learn more about how you can help raise awareness, visit my website, www.youresuchacatch.com. You'll find resources and links under the blog section. While you're there, feel free to check out the latest blog posts, including one written by the damsel in dating distress from the UK. It's titled Platonic Friendships Can Men and Women Really Just Be Friends? If you want access to more episodes, you want to know what's happening in my dating life, like, you know, who I DM'd the other day, a multiple choice question, (laughs) freaked out because I left the C out. Yes, I went A, B, D, E. No C. Ah! Thank you, Katie, by the way, for helping a sister out there. But subscribe to You're Such a Catch Unfiltered. For $5 a month, you'll have access to bonus episodes and more. I hope my girl gang and guy tribe check their mailboxes this week. Your YSC stickers should have arrived. Now you're stuck with me, literally. <laughs> to make your pledge, visit my website, www.youresuchacatch.com backslash unfiltered. All right, friends, until next week. Big hugs.